Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 15. And uh, you may have already realized that I am reading from the traditional NIV. Um, not because I think it's the best, but because it has print large enough for me to see. So uh, bear with me in that. I'm going to be reading verses 14 to 21. Uh, Michael Griffith wrote a wonderful book that I, I uh, stole the title of uh, for my sermon this morning called Give Up Your Small Ambitions. And he quotes a 16th century missionary who said that he wished he could go back to Paris and run through the streets and cry out to the students, give up your small ambitions and come east to preach the gospel of Christ. That's precisely the kind of spirit uh, that Paul will demonstrate in this very uh, personal expression of his theology of mission. I'm a missions professor, uh, so don't be surprised if I want to preach to you about missions. Uh, it's an important part of our faith as people who hold to the Reformed creeds and confessions. Um, uh, Dr. Peter Lilbach, the president of Westminster Seminary, said the Reformed faith is missional, and any reform faith that isn't missional isn't reformed. And so this passage is going to help us get into that reformed understanding of God's call on the church to be bringing the nations as an offering to the Lord. Pay careful attention to the reading of God's holy and inert word. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the nations might become an offering acceptable to God sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the nations to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, though through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray with me. Father, we pray your spirit would work by and with the word to renew our hearts to new obedience, that we might pray for heart, um, workers to be raised up for the harvest and for many men and women and boys and girls to be brought to faith through the proclamation of your word. Father, may it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During the, the years that we um, lived in South Africa, where I was teaching at a theological college and uh, running an institute that taught uh, and trained people in Muslim evangelism, 
Uh, I had a colleague by the name of Ted Hope, who was a Bible translator, a linguist, uh, but he hadn't set out to do that. I suppose nobody ever sets out in life to become a Bible translator. Uh, But here's what happened. He was uh, living up in Harare, Zimbabwe. Uh, He had just finished his secondary schooling, which is kind of the equivalent of getting an associate's degree here in the States, and was planning to go on to university. And he had... uh, thought that while he was doing that, getting his university degree, he would pursue his one true life passion, which was golf. Now, I don't know if any of you play golf. Um, I tried once. It wasn't pretty. Uh, They've never let me try again. So um, I I find myself absolutely mystified by it. Um, Requires hand-eye coordination, of which I have none. But Ted had it in tons. And so he had been given an offer to come to Cape Town, uh, where he could go to the University of Cape Town, and he could serve as a golf pro at one of the leading country clubs in the city. Talk about your opportunities, right? God opening doors to fulfill your heart desire. But he made a fatal mistake, he said. Uh, He went to a prayer meeting at his local church, where the minister got up and read from Matthew 28, um, 18 to 20, and all he heard, actually, the whole talk was, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Ted said it was like the Lord, now he's reformed, so it didn't really happen, but it was as if the Lord had grabbed his shoulder, right? And Ted all of a sudden said, if Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, then he has the right to do with my life what he wants me to do. And the Lord laid it on his heart to sell his golf clubs, to go to the Bible Institute of South Africa, the little school that will celebrate its 100th birthday uh, next year, uh, where I taught for a number of years, and to prepare for ministry to go and reach the Lisu people of Thailand, an unreached people group. He finished uh, his Bible college training, seminary training, Uh, within the South African context, uh, caught a boat to Singapore and another one up to Bangkok. When he got off the boat, he said he had $5, um, a change of clothes, his Bible, and that was about it in his backpack. And he was told to tip the cabin steward when he got off the plane or got off the, uh, the boat, so he gave away his last dollar and presented himself to the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. This was the successor to the China Inland Mission and he was told, well, we don't know anything about the Lisu people. We don't have anyone here that speaks Lisu. You're going to have to figure this out on your own. Now, meanwhile, while Ted is standing there kind of gobsmacked trying to figure out what to do, the Lord had six months earlier laid it on the heart of an elder in a Lisu church in western China to get several of his fellow elders and for them to trek 720 miles to Bangkok because they had heard um, through the grapevine that someone was coming to reach the Lisu people. So Isaiah Fish and his buddies showed up. Uh, They did not speak English. They didn't speak Thai. Ted didn't speak any Lisu. So what they did is they headed up into the mountains and for the next six months, Ted learned Lisu and they did what we would call now an ethnographic demographic survey of the mountains to determine where all the villages were. And then Isaiah Fish said, we've got to go home. Uh, We have crops to plant, families to care for. And they headed back to China, and Ted was left all alone, living in a village 
where he was allowed to stay because he had been a medic in the South African Defense Force, and he was useful as kind of a village doctor. And there he translated the Bible and shared the gospel for 17 years, and nothing happened. It was the Vietnam era. Uh, It was the heart of the Golden Triangle, and opium was everything. What would it take to live your life like that? To give up your deepest personal ambition for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to move to the ends of the earth, to go into a village where no one knows your name, to learn a language that nobody else speaks, in order that you might one day have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. What could possibly drive us to do that? Well, the Moravians used to say this, um, Jesus is worthy to receive the reward, the infinite reward of the travail of his soul, right? Beloved, he really is worthy to receive all glory and honor and power. And so Peter Lobeck says, the reformed faith, because it's centered on the person of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, ascended, and reigning Lord, is missional because Jesus is at the heart of our faith. And because he's worthy, right, we must declare his glory among the nations, as the psalmist says. Paul will lay out here uh, his heart. Verses 14 to 16, he begins by reflecting, right, on our message, which is God's grace Uh, He's writing to brothers and sisters in Rome. The church has been organized at this point probably for about 10 years. Notice that he says, um, you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, competent to instruct one another. I've written you quite boldly on some points in the letter itself, as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And you may have noticed that when I read the scripture, I, I used the word nations. The, the, the Greek is ethne. Jesus says, go and preach the gospel to panta ta ethne, all the nations. It's the same word that's translated Gentiles, right? And so he says, God sent me to the nations with a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, the nations, might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm an Old Testament professor as well as a missions guy. Um, He's making an intertextual allusion to a very famous passage, though it may not appear that way to us. Isaiah 66, the conclusion of Isaiah's great prophecy, right? Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, right? And the government will be upon his shoulders. This is the reigning king, Lord Jesus. And in chapter 66, after Isaiah, the Lord has already told us through the prophet that his house will be a house of prayer for all nations. We read these verses In chapter 66, verse 19 and 20, I'll set a sign among them, and I'll send some of those who survive to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. 
they will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. And Paul says, God, by his grace, when he should have struck me with lightning, right, called me to be his agent to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. I get the privilege to serve, if you will, as, as his, well, tonight we'll talk about his ambassador, but in this context, in a priestly role, mediating between the nations and the Lord by sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ, so that by that grace and through the power of the Spirit, they might be saved and worship the Lamb. And Paul is just so excited. He's just so grateful. He is so convinced that God's grace is glorious. Do you remember earlier we were reading Ephesians 2, and he he kept saying, it's by grace, right? You've been saved through faith. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the Reformers said. Paul never got over the fact that God chose him. Beloved, let me ask you the question today, right? Are we hiding from the harvest? Uh, Are we sitting on the truth that we know? Are we as gripped by the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives with the kind of gratitude that the Apostle Paul said that we can't wait to get out the door tomorrow morning to have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody that's never heard about him and to point them towards the Savior? John Piper put it this way. He said, you will not share what you can, you cannot commend uh, what you don't cherish. Do we cherish the message of grace? Do we believe in its uniqueness? One of the things I have to talk to the college kids about, uh, because within their generation, even within the church, it's become kind of default to, to think that there are many ways to get to God, right? All of the, the great faiths of the world, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism, these are just alternative paths that God will somehow save them on the basis of Christ's cross work, but by pursuing the light that they have. I think they got that from C.S. Lewis, but that's another conversation. Uh, if you read The Last Battle, uh, you, you have that conversation with um, Emmett, whose name means truth, and Aslan, and I'm glad to talk to you about that after the service. But here's the point. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. There is No other path to the Father. No one comes, right, to the Father except by me. No one comes to the Father unless Jesus reveals him, he says in Matthew 11. Peter and um, John will say, there is no other name given under heaven by which men and women, boys and girls, must be saved. Do you believe it's unique? Do you believe that your neighbor will perish if they don't hear? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God and the relevance of the gospel. Paul, Paul understood that when you're speaking to different people, you have to approach the truth from different angles. So in Acts 13, in Antioch of Pisidia, he's talking to Jewish um, 
background folks. And so he talks about promise and fulfillment, redemption and judgment, that the gospel is fulfilling the promises made to the patriarchs and that they should flee from the wrath to come and turn to the Lord. In Acts 17, when he is at the Areopagus in Mars Hill at the Oxford or Harvard University of his day, he approaches them from a common grace standpoint, this unknown God that you claim to worship. Let me reveal to you who he is. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He's the king. He's the coming judge, and his name is Jesus. We have to adapt our message contextually to the people that we speak to, but we won't do that unless we believe it with all of our heart and strength and mind. One of the things I I love about teaching at a college is that young people um, are very matter-of-fact when it comes to biblical truth, right? They're they're very much, tell us what the Bible says and point us in the right direction, and we'll just do it. We'll we'll go, right? And one of my former students, Becca Saylor, um, decided to do that. After she graduated, she spent three years in Tanzania, where I also served years ago, trying to reach an unreached Um, people group, a Muslim people group called the Zigua. To do that, she had to learn Kiswahili. She had to learn Kizigua. They moved into the village. She and a a team of other young people uh, serving with African Inland Mission, and they began uh, to start an elementary school, and they did some development projects, and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and began to see the Holy Spirit lead Uh, some of the men and the women and the boys and the girls to Christ. Here's what she wrote. She said, early in the morning when the darkness is still separating from the light and the heat is still sleeping, I take in the last few moments of quiet before the buzz of the day begins. Those moments don't last long. Soon the roosters are crowing and people beginning to stir. My bedroom, situated at the corner of the house and just outside my window is a path that becomes a major thoroughfare. In those sleepy morning hours, people heading to market to set up shop, kids on their way to school, others going to fetch water for washing or food for breakfast. As I sit at my desk, I hear all the morning conversations and greetings. Sometimes I even have a few little faces appear at my window to greet me and say good morning. At first, I resented the fact that my quiet time wasn't exactly quiet. I was annoyed with the constant humming that went on outside my windows in those early morning hours, thinking, of course, that I had a right to a quiet, quiet time with the Lord. But then one day it hit me. As I was listening to neighbors greet each other on the path, I realized that those weren't just voices of people. They were voices of people I know. Those were not only uh, voices I knew, but I knew their names. And not only did I know their names, but I actually really cared for those people. I realized that I loved these people. I loved this place. And I love that I get to be here and to be a part of what God is doing here. It's not to say I don't get frustrated still on some days. But overall, the Lord is teaching me to love these people and to embrace his beauty in these early morning hours. Beloved, Are you embracing the beauty and the loveliness of Christ each day? Are we going out and talking to our neighbors about the hope that we have and the grace that could be theirs as we pursue our vocational callings before the Lord? Paul says he's just so grateful 
to serve in this priestly role. And then secondly, um, in verses 17 to 19, he talks about um, if our, if our message is about God's grace, our motivation, his motivation, is God's glory. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Now, you have to remember, he was the greatest church planter that ever lived. And you can read a list in the book of Acts of all of the things he suffered for the sake of the name of the Lord. Right? He was shipwrecked and he was snake bit and he was stoned and left for dead and nothing stopped him. But he never boasted about what he had done. He said, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and leading the nations to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles. And again, this may not occur to you, but this is an Old Testament allusion back to the Exodus, right? When God comes um, in the ten plagues, striking down the gods of Egypt, and then leads his people through the Red Sea and across the wilderness to the mountain of God where he gives them his law. And Paul says, God is on the move yet again through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, or let's say from Nashville, right, all the way down to Gulf Shores, he's fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He's fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Are we excited about the proclamation of the word of God? Do you encourage your pastor? He's not here, so I can say this. Hopefully he's not listening. Um, do you pray for him faithfully during the week as he's preparing his messages? Right? Do you pray for him while he's preaching? Uh, do you pray for uh, the Lord's protection of, of him and his family? You know, ministers, missionaries, Christian workers have targets on their back. Do you pray for the expression of the gospel in clear, unmistakable terms so that people can come to worship the Lord. John Piper said missions exist because worship doesn't. Don't you care? Don't we care if they come and worship the Lamb? Paul did. He was so excited. He would only boast in what Jesus had done, right? It's all grace. It's all God's glory. And then finally, he talks about his mission to gather in the nations, right? That's our mission as well. Jesus said in John 20, 21, right? As the Father is sending me, so I'm sending you. Paul says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Now, if you were my class, I would call on somebody at random and ask you to tell me where that verse is from in the Old Testament. But I'm not going to do that. I'll just tell you. It's from Isaiah 52, verse 13. It's the beginning of the suffering servant passage in Isaiah 53, right? The servant, uh, the Lord says about the servant, those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. Paul says, I want to go where the gospel hasn't gone. I want to bring it to people who haven't heard. 
And a little bit later on, he'll talk about his desire to go to the regions beyond. And Dr. McDougall, my colleague in the department, uh, believes that Paul actually was released from his Roman imprisonment, made a fourth journey to Spain. Can't prove it, but believes it. We're going to check it out when we get to heaven. And then came back where he finally was martyred before Caesar. But Paul was eager to go to those who haven't heard. Are, are we eager? Look, beloved, you don't have to go across the world. They're, they're right down the road. I'm willing to bet if you work at Boeing that there are all kinds of folks from Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist backgrounds. I just know that's true. Or if you work at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, there are international students from around the globe, and we're not even talking about refugee families that have been resettled here. People that might literally live just down the street from you. Right? We have the opportunity. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by understanding the word of Christ. How are they going to hear if we don't tell them? You see, the task isn't done. The International Bulletin of Mission Research reported that by this time of the year, right? June 2022. There are 1.9 billion Muslims in the world. When Kathy and I went out uh, to the mission field to, to work with Muslims in Dar es Salaam, uh, there was only about a billion, right? And so that number has grown, almost doubled in those years. At that time, the ratio of missionaries to Muslims was one to a million. It's better than that now. It's one to 500,000. There are one billion Hindus half a billion Chinese ethno-folk religionists. And we're not even talking about postmodern pagans, which surround you here in the Huntsville metropolitan area. All told, there are 2.2 billion people that will go to bed tonight who have never heard once about Jesus in a way that they could understand and respond to. Um, I'm no good with math, so I had a mathematician friend figure this out for me. But if you just read their names, one a second, right, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it would take 27 years to read their names who haven't heard about Jesus. What is God calling us to do in this generation? Peter Lilbach says, a reformed faith that isn't missional isn't reformed because the reformed faith is centered on the living Lord Jesus and seeing him receive the worship that is due him, to have his glory proclaimed among the nations. Well, I have brought some suggestions, right? Promise I won't take long. After the service, go over to the information desk, pick up the Committee on Foreign Missions Report 2022, right? Take it home, tape that to your fridge, or your bathroom mirror, or someplace you can see it, your bedroom door, right? And you pick one of those families that you're going to pray for every single day. And you write to them and say, I want to get not just the occasional prayer letters you send out, but the ones you send to your family. Because I and my family and my kids, we're going to lift you up every single day. You pray for them. And if you get the opportunity, you go visit them. And then you pick up the little brochure on short-term missions and disaster response opportunities through the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And you just ask the question, Lord, would you have me during the balance of this year be involved somewhere on what the OPC is doing among the nations, right? 
And then, secondly, do some reading. Some of you I know are theologians. You've told me uh, that you read Bavink and um, Rush Juni and all kinds of people. So uh, read this book by Paul Wells, Peter Lilback, and Hank Stoker, A Covenantal Vision for Global Mission. Covenantal Vision for Global Mission, published by Presbyterian and Reformed. Uh, it is rich covenant theology with practical application to our calling before the Lord, right? What he's calling us to be and to do. And look, could you pray? Now, I know you pray. I really am, am moved by the fact that you have a congregational prayer meeting at 1030 every Sunday morning. Come and join if you haven't been. Be part of that. Use that time to pray for the work of the gospel among the nations, to pray for specific needs of missionary families, to pray for the Lord to raise up from these wonderful children and teenagers in this room, workers for his harvest field. Would you be willing to pray that for your kids, to give them up to the the service of Christ, if that be his calling on their lives, right? Uh, Kath and I were in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, some years ago, and we were invited to a prayer meeting at a Muslim background believer church. It was called the People of the Book. And so we, we went to this prayer meeting, and on the way over, um, the brother that was taking us said, oh, by the way, this will go all night. And I said, excuse me? He said, all night. Yeah, we'll, we'll start about sundown, and we'll go to sunrise. And they did. They worshiped, and they prayed, and there was lots of preaching, and lots of reading of scripture, and singing, and it was all in French, which drove me crazy, because my French is hardly enough to order a glass of water, um, but, um, but it was glorious to be there and hear God's people pleading with him to send his Holy Spirit upon that great Muslim city, and to convert their brothers and sisters and their neighbors Right? their families and the people around them to bring the gospel more fully to the city of Abidjan. How many of us in the Presbyterian Church in America, I'm not going to talk about the OPC, pray like that, right? Not many. I learned as a pastor that if you say to somebody, you think we should pray, everybody says yes. But if you ask them, and, and if you ask them to come to a prayer meeting, they'll say yes. Uh, they think that you should have one. But that doesn't mean necessarily they'll show up. We had a woman in our church in St. Louis, Ruth Gustafson, who made it her business to know the hundreds of missionaries that serve with Mission to the World, PCA's missionary arm. And she would pray for them as her full-time vocation after she'd retired from her ordinary job, right? God raised us up to pray um, faithfully and to give generously to support the work of this church and of your denomination and its outreach. And then to be willing to ask the question, Lord, would you want to use me? Look, there. if you want to talk to me afterwards, I'll be glad to talk to you about how your vocational expertise could fit into the global mission outreach of the church, right? If, if you have any skill of any kind, God can use you on the mission field. Be willing to ask the question, Lord, do you want me to stay here in Huntsville? I ask this every year, Lord, do you want me to stay on this mountain at the college? Or do you want to send us out? Well, I left Ted Hope sitting in a village, having worked for 17 years and seen nothing happen. Well, something did happen along the way. Uh, he married a pretty Australian missionary uh, nurse, and uh, he and Nell had some children. Um, but they still didn't see any fruit from their ministry until 1970. 
Six people came down the trail from the north. They were Lisu from a different village group. They had heard from the Lahu that there was a man who could tell them how to find God. And they said, we are done with animism. We want to know the Father. So tell us accurately what the Bible says because we're going to believe whatever you say. And so Ted shared the gospel with them, led them to Christ. And on Easter Sunday, 1970, he baptized the first six converts to the Lisu Church. Fast forward 30 years, right? We're sitting in the common room at the Bible College in Cape Town uh, just after lunch before our faculty meeting begins. And Ted's reading the letter and he says, funny thing, hey, who would have believed? He said, from that six believers, they now have um, a total of 61 churches. 14 full-time evangelists. They have something called God's field that in their community, they raise crops and sell it and give the money to missions. He said, they also asked me if they had to tithe. I said, really, what, what, is, what, what do you mean? He said, well, they're giving 25% of their gross income and they wondered if they were supposed to cut back, right? Look, God is going to accomplish his mission. Jesus will receive the infinite reward that is due him for the travail of his soul, right? But he's invited us to partner with him and that great work of the Holy Spirit. If, if you and I say no, if we say we're not interested, he'll get it done anyway. He'll raise up others. But beloved, do you want to miss seeing the nations come to Christ, right? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help all of us to give up our own small ambitions, and to ask ourselves, what would it look like in the place that you have planted us to reach out to the nations? Maybe that would mean volunteering with international students' ministries at UAB. Maybe it would mean getting involved with a, a refugee, a Christian organization that helps settle refugees here in the city. Father, maybe it would be volunteering with the Crisis Pregnancy Center in the wake of Friday's decision. Lord, whatever it is, would you send your people out on mission, by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.